Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. The title this morning is Fan Into Flame. And the synopsis is this. God has placed a gift inside of you that he wants you to rekindle, to stir up, to fan into flame and to keep ablaze because people on fire change the world. Samuel Chadwick was a Methodist evangelist and revivalist in the late 1800s. And in a beautiful and life-changing book, called The Way to Pentecost, he writes these powerful words about being on fire for God. Spiritual souls are ablaze for God. They love with a love that glows. They believe with a faith that kindles. They serve with a devotion that consumes. They hate sin with a fierceness that burns. They rejoice with a joy that radiates. Love is perfected in the fire of God, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. The scripture this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. But before I go there, I want to give you a little bit of context to the scripture. On a hot summer day in the middle of July, 64 years after the death of Christ, a fire broke out in Rome. There was nothing unusual about the start of the fire. Rome was a city of a million people with rudimentary conditions and slum areas. And so fires were a frequent occurrence. What was different about this particular fire is that once it started burning, it burned for six continuous days. And by the time it was extinguished, two-thirds of Rome had been destroyed. The emperor at the time was a young man named Nero. He became emperor at the young age of 16. His mother, Agrippina, was ambitious and influential, and he had family connections, and there were political maneuverings, and she skillfully manipulated the political landscape to make way for his promotions. Now, Agrippina was in a league of her own, when it came to being a mom. In today's society, I thought I would include this because we've had the start of school, and so some of the parents here might find this useful as you start. In today's society, we've got some language for helicopter parents, tiger parents, air traffic controller parents, and groundhog parents, just to name a few. Now, helicopter parents are those that pay very close attention to what their children are doing. Kids, you know if you've got a helicopter parent. They are always hovering. Generally, trying to avoid any stress and pain for you. And so they will very helpfully finish your homework, do your school projects, so that you won't experience any of the pain that you should have due to the natural consequences of your procrastination. 
Then we have the tiger parents, or more commonly known as the tiger mom. Tiger moms are competitive and demanding. They expect very high standards from their children, usually because they have high standards of themselves or because they failed dismally and they've got one last chance to live vicariously through their children. And then we have the air traffic controller. She, it's me, <laughs> schedules every moment for their child from the breakfast table until bedtime, just to make sure that things go smoothly and that we don't have any surprises during the day. The groundhog mom is a little different. These are quite uninvolved moms. Every now and then, they stick their heads up out of the ground to see what their children are up to before burying it back into their cell phones, their work, or their social media. Now, Agrippina, Nero's mom, was not really one of these moms. There's nothing in the modern day literature to describe her. She was probably the tiger mom on steroids with a few psychopathic tendencies thrown in the mix. It is rumored that she had Nero's uncle poisoned in order to secure his position as emperor. But in spite of this rather strange start, Nero actually did quite well. He was very popular among the everyday citizen. He lowered taxes, he improved the socioeconomic living conditions for them. And he did really well until the great fire of Rome. And his political opponents used the fire to create unrest and dissatisfaction by blaming Nero, starting a rumor for the fire. Nero did what mankind has been doing since Adam and Eve, and he in turn shifted blame somewhere else onto a small, marginalized group of people called Christians. Now, Nero had a personal prejudice against Christians because they refused to conform to the Roman ideals, and this resulted in their persecution. The persecution was both unfathomable and sadly familiar. Many were ostracized and publicly humiliated. Some were sent to prison. Others were sentenced to death by crucifixion or thrown to wild animals in public arenas as a form of entertainment. And some were set alight and used as human torches to light up Nero's palace garden at night. And it is in this political and social context that Paul writes these words to his young protege, Timothy. And Paul is one of the Christians that has been arrested, and he is in jail in Rome. And this letter is written just three years after the fire. And he writes from a dark and damp prison cell in a place called what scholars believe was the Mamertine prison. Now, if this was the place that Paul wrote this letter from, I have stood in the place that people believe that he lived. And it's almost impossible to imagine a man writing from these conditions with the joy and conviction 
that Paul experienced. And in these tough conditions, very different from load shedding and floods, Paul writes to Timothy, encouraging him to fan into flame the gift that is in him, to stir it up, to rekindle it, and to keep it ablaze, not to shrink back, not to be afraid, but to step forward and fulfill his calling, knowing that the gift inside him is greater than the intimidation around him, because there was a community around young Timothy that was desperate to see God's love and power in action. Now, our political and social environment has changed somewhat since those days, but I don't believe the mandate has changed. You see, there is a gift in you, just like Timothy, that God wants you to stir up, to rekindle, to keep it ablaze, because there's a community around you that is desperate to see God's power and love in action. And I guarantee you that the gift in you is more powerful than the intimidation around you. You see, people of Harvest and those listening online, you were born to burn for him. And so here's what Paul writes to young Timothy. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as his prisoner. Rather, join me in the suffering. For the gospel, by the power of God, he has saved us and called us to live a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Now, there are a number of reasons why this particular scripture stands out to me. Lots of scripture stands out to me. Lots of passages are my favorite passages, but this one is almost my favorite favorite. The first reason this, this letter is so significant is that it is a very personal letter. Paul writes to young Timothy, who he calls my dear son. Paul didn't have children of his own, and this was his protege, his boy. And words from a father to their sons are incredibly significant. The second reason this stands out is Paul writes this letter from prison. And I don't know about you, but difficult circumstances have a way of awakening what the most important thing is in us. And then the third reason, what stands out most for me about this letter, is that this is actually the last letter that Paul ever writes. And Paul knows when writing this letter that his death is imminent. And when I read it, I wonder what I would write our son was in the first service, and I had to say this while looking at him. But I wonder what I would write to our children, knowing that it might be my last chance to speak to them. If I was writing this letter, it would be full of parental warnings to ensure their safety. I'd be helicoptering. I'd go back to my default patterns. I'd be the traffic controller, and I'd be saying, stay safe. Lock yourself in at home. 
don't go out there. Hide away. Play it safe. Shrink back. But that's not what Paul does. To a boy that he loves, that he knows that there's a gift inside him that needs to be fanned into flame, instead, he says, don't burn out. Burn brightly, burn bravely, burn boldly. And whatever you do, make sure you burn for the distance. And I believe that this is not just a word for Timothy all those years ago, but a word for each of us here at the beginning of 2024. Because if we want our year to look different, perhaps there's something in this verse. You see, there's still intimidation. There's still risk. There's still discomfort. There is still a whole lot of suffering. There is a whole lot of distraction from being fully committed to God. There is a cost to fanning our gift into flame. Perhaps you felt it, perhaps you've shrunk back in the years before, and perhaps you've let your flame flicker. But I want to remind you that there is a gift inside of you that is greater than any intimidation around you. And God wants to see your gift fanned into flame because there is a community around you that is desperate to see God's power and love in action. Now, whenever I read scripture and I see an instruction, I often look at the scripture to see if there are any tools or keys that can help me in doing the instruction. And I see three things that have helped me in this as I've processed it. The first one is there's an invitation to each of us to participate, not to do this thing on our own, but to participate in the partnership with God. Second, I see that if we accept the invitation to the partnership, we're probably going to have to push past some timidity, which you guys know my journey in it. And third, if you want to push past timidity, you need to be prepared to go the distance. So the first one, participating in the partnership. Paul writes to Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame. Notice Timothy is going to do the fanning into flame. God's not doing the fanning, guys. The gift is in Timothy, but Timothy has to do something to work his gifting through. And it is not easy to keep a fire burning, which is why at home we have a gas brine. <laughs> now, there are lots of reasons why we don't participate in the partnership. Either we think we don't deserve it, or we have somehow been disqualified from it, or sometimes it actually just becomes too difficult for us. Now, last year in November, my husband and I celebrated our 30-year anniversary, our 30-year partnership in November. Before we got married, we did premarital counseling, like all good young Christian couples do. But our partnership was going to be a little bit different, and our leadership requested that we do pre-premarital counseling because I was such a high risk. Robin was an eligible bachelor in the church. 
I was not so eligible. I was divorced, I had a young baby, and so I was not what someone would imagine, the pick of the litter. In many ways, I was disqualified from deserving. This pure man, I carried the stigma of divorce through many people's eyes, I carried baggage. For others, I was just marked and stained. But he was a man in love, and a man in love is unstoppable in his invitation. So one day in August, 30 years and five months ago, he asked me to marry him. And here we are 30 years later, grateful for the pre-premarital counseling. <laughs> now the reason I tell you that story is not just because it is my favorite love story in the whole world, but also because it paints a beautiful picture of what partnership looks like. I had to believe that I was invited to the partnership to accept the invitation. I had to believe that I was worthy of stepping into the partnership in order to give my wholehearted yes to him. And then I had to actively participate in the partnership and not give up for the next 30 years to keep our flame burning. <laughs> now, our partnership with God is quite similar, I think. Some people believe that they are not good enough, that they don't deserve it, that they're disqualified. And for some, it just becomes too difficult to do the long race. And some can't give a wholehearted yes because of that. But a man in love is unstoppable in his invitation to you. And Jesus is deeply in love with you. You see, some people believe that they are not good enough, they're disqualified, they don't deserve it, or the marathon just becomes too difficult. But a man in love is unstoppable in his invitation to you. And Jesus is deeply in love with you. And his love qualifies you, his power strengthens you, and he is gonna keep inviting you to participate in the partnership with him. Because there is a community around you that needs you to fan your gift into flame because they're desperate to see God's power and love in action. You see, God is in the business of using all kinds of people, ones that don't feel qualified, ones that carry stigmas are marked and stained, and ones that don't feel capable of doing it because the grace of Jesus is big enough to cover everything. So summation to number one, you are a valuable partner and you are invited to be an active participant, not a passive observer. Now, to be an active participant, we might need to push past timidity. Paul writes to Timothy, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, my own personal experience with the gifting that God has given me is that it has been very difficult to push past my timidity. I am scared of pretty much everything. Snakes, small spaces, high heights, public speaking, 
And sometimes the gift that God gives you, it doesn't, it's sometimes not a natural fit to your personality, which is why God gives you power, love, and a sound mind in the spirit that comes with that gifting. What's interesting is the human brain is designed to keep us safe, but the body around, I mean, the, the, the human brain is designed to keep us safe. The body around us wants safety, but the spirit in us does not make us timid. Simon Sinek, a professor at Columbia University and an incredible student of human behavior, writes it like this. We are hardwired to protect ourselves. Many of us avoid danger and seek out places that we feel safe. We will generally avoid risks to our physical safety, our psychological safety, and our relational safety. In other words, our natural tendency is to shrink back and stay safe. The problem is that timidity puts obstacles in our course and boldness eliminates them which is why Paul writes to Timothy, the spirit God gave you does not make you timid, but gives you power, love, and a sound mind. Now, the word power here is dunamis power. It's miraculous power. It's might. It's strength. And we know the same spirit is in us that raised Jesus from the dead, and that is a whole lot of power. Power is great. We all want power. But notice that the word love follows power. God has given us a spirit of power and of love. And I think love tells us a lot about what power looks like. You see, Jesus' power was expressed in loving and serving others. John chapter 13, another favorite chapter for me, it says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. All things under his power. This, this is just before the crucifixion and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And he got up from the meal, took out his, off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet. With all things under his power, the action he chooses to do is to wash his disciples' feet. You see, power expresses itself in love. And Paul adds that in addition to power and love, the spirit God gave us is self-discipline. Now, this is not the self-discipline that makes us work out or run or eat healthily. This is the word, the Greek word that refers to a calm and self-controlled mind. Jesus, give me more. In contrast to the panic and confusion that comes with a fearful situation, What's interesting in research is that it explains that when we are in stressful situations, our thinking brain turns off and we have no access to logic. You see, fear in the natural creates panic and confusion, but the spirit God gave us gives us a calm and self-controlled mind. So number two in a nutshell, if we can push past timidity, because of the gift inside of us, the spirit in you gives you access to power, love, and self-discipline, which is all you need to fan your gift into flame. Lastly, if we want to fan our gift into flame, we need to be prepared 
to go the distance. Paul writes to young Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me as his prisoner. Rather, join me in the suffering for the gospel. By the power of God, he has saved us and called us to live a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his purpose and grace. Eugene Peterson writes it like this. Our journey, our Christian journey, is a long obedience in the same direction. You see, our journey with God is not a quick sprint. It's a marathon. And if you've ever run a quick sprint or if you've ever run a marathon, you'll know the difference in the levels of pain between the two. Now, when our children were little, um, there used to be a mother's race at the athletics day. Now, this is a big day in the life of a child and, and a lesser day in the life of a mother. And our, every year, our daughter would expect me to compete. And um, <laughs> some moms would arrive and they'd be dressed for the event, you know, ready to run training perhaps the whole year. Some were reluctant, like me doing it out of request. And most of us were just trying not to embarrass ourselves. I had one particularly embarrassing year where I really felt like things were going well. And right before the end, I took a tumble. But as much as I didn't enjoy participating, I knew that the short sprint would be over in a very short time. You see, you can endure anything for a short sprint. But last year, our daughter, who's now 28, has had this idea that she wants us all to run the 21K on, at, in Cape Town, the, the half marathon of the two oceans. So out of love for her, because we're such great parents, my husband and I put in our application secretly praying not to be successful because you put in for a draw. I have never been more disappointed <laughs> to receive the email notification. You were successful in the half marathon draw. We are delighted to inform you that we will see you at our start line. Notice they didn't say we will see you at the finish line. Now, this is not the same as a short sprint. This is 21Ks of downhills, which are great sometimes, unless you're running 21Ks, and uphills. The pain of the marathon is different from the pain of the sprint. It's more difficult to stay committed to the race. It requires a fair share of resilience, especially when there's suffering along the way. And I predict that there will be some suffering, and Rob, I'm warning you, I will make a lot of noise. Paul explains to Timothy that there will be suffering in his Christian journey. I love how Philip Yancey writes it. He says, the apostle Paul seemed to expect from the Christian life, not health and wealth, but a measure of suffering. In fact, he told young Timothy, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. You see, with a long distance marathon of loving people, serving people, there's a fair share of suffering and a fair share of disappointment along the way. Social scientists have actually identified two concepts 
about working with people, burnout and compassion fatigue. Burnout is the state of emotional and mental and physical exhaustion brought on by prolonged or repeated stress, and compassion fatigue describes the physical, emotional, and psychological impact of helping others. Jesus said there would be trouble. Are you prepared to go the distance? You see, the Holy Spirit gives us power, love, and self-discipline to go the distance. Jesus faced it all and motivated with a heart of love, persevered through the anguish of the cross. This is our example. My prayer for you and for me this morning is that one day when we are really, really old, and that's going to be a different time for a lot of us, when we know that our end is near and we are going to go into the sweet eternal presence of Jesus, that we will be able to say what Paul said at the end of his life later on in this letter, and he wrote these words, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You see, God deserves, if you guys can put the next slide up, please. You see, God deserves to be served with all of the energy of which we are capable. To do this, we need to accept the invitation to participate in the partnership. We might need to lean towards some discomfort. We need to push past timidity and embrace power, love, and a sound mind. And we need to be prepared to go the distance, knowing that it might not always be easy, but knowing that everything we need is accessible to us. I'm gonna end off with a quote from Samuel Chadwick, the old evangelist and revivalist from the 1800s that I started with. And he wrote this, men, I've added women. He didn't include it in his writings, but I don't know if he'd mind. <laughs> men and women ablaze are invincible. Hell trembles when men and women kindle. I want to extend to you an invitation to fan into flame the gift that is in you. There's a gift inside of you just like young Timothy that God has put in you that he wants you to use to change the world. I know those words sound rather dramatic, but there's a community around you that is desperate to see God's love and power in action. And God is uncanny in his way of using people, people that don't deserve it, people that are disqualified, people that think it's too difficult because the power of the Holy Spirit in you gives you everything that you need to serve him well. Won't you stand with me as I close? While I was preparing this, um, I had a very clear picture of three groups of people that would be here this morning. The first group are those of you that have never accepted Jesus' very first invitation to participate in the partnership. 
You've never made him Lord of your life. You've kind of thought, oh, maybe that's for the good kids. That's for the good adults. Those are the, those are the people that live a clean life. My life doesn't, doesn't qualify that. And maybe this morning you felt a, a gentle nudging. God's saying to you, my darling son, my darling daughter, you are qualified because my grace qualifies you. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you this morning, and you would like to say a wholehearted yes to participate in the partnership with Jesus this morning, would you just take a moment and look at me? Just look up quickly. The lights are bright, so it's difficult to see. Just look up quickly. See you. See you. I see you. See you. Come on, Lord. See you. See you. Let's pray. You just pray quietly to yourself. Jesus, I give you my wholehearted yes. I know that you will empower me and that you will give me everything that I need to serve you 100% fully. Father, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for choosing me as a child of yours. And from this day forward, forever, I will know that I am a child of yours, holy and chosen and set apart to serve you with everything that is in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's a second group. Some of you have given your life to God, but you've never received the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe you think the power of the Holy Spirit is for the crazies. We are crazy. But sometimes we look at people that are filled with the Spirit and they're doing crazy things, and we think, ah, that's too undignified for me. I don't want to be part of this. Guys, there's something absolutely remarkable about the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I would go so far as to say that it is very difficult to serve God fully, fully, fully and stay committed to the race without the power that the Holy Spirit gives us. So if that's you this morning and you have never received the Holy Spirit, I want you to, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd like you just to look up at me. Everybody else, close your eyes. Otherwise, I'm going to get confused. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Holy Spirit, thank you. See you. And those of you that have looked up, will you just lift your hands open to Jesus? Holy Spirit, come. Just pray these words. Holy Spirit, fill me. Anoint me with your power, your love, and everything that comes with the gift of the Spirit. Lord, I pray that from today, 
I will feel your presence with me. I will feel your power enabling me. And I will see things and know things that I have never experienced before. And Father, I pray that you would seal this. This is something that can never be robbed from you. There's nothing that you can do that can make you lose it. There's no deed that you can do that takes it away from you. Once you are filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwells you. Holy Spirit, come and fill and anoint in Jesus' name. And now there's a third group. And this is perhaps the group that I've spoken to more than any group this morning. This is the group that used to have a fire burning brightly. Your flame used to be solid. You used to burn brightly, but things have got tough. You've been intimidated for whatever reason. You've stepped back. You haven't taken up the space that God wants you to do. You've forgotten the things that God has called you to do. And today you want to have a fresh anointing. You want to step forward and say, God, I'm going to serve you this year like never before because your power is going to enable me because there's a community around me that wants to see your power and love in action. And so I receive your commission to serve you. And with that, I need a fresh anointing. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would just take a moment and look at me. Okay, it's pretty much the whole house. Jesus, thank you. you. Let's pray. Let's just lift our hands up because I think this is for all of us. Father, I pray for a fresh anointing in this room. And Lord, it's not me that has anything to do with this. It's you that does it. And so Father, I pray your spirit would come. Holy Spirit power, Pentecostal power, flood hearts and lives like never before. Father, set us ablaze. We were born to burn for you, and we want 2024 to look different. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Fill us, anoint us with your power and love. so that we may know you deeper and serve you more. In Jesus' name, amen.